Hey, son. There's hey, Darren. Hey. Hey, Carol. Hey, awesome. I'm I'm attempting to find us a this worship song that uh Wendy put up that was so amazing. Hey Dad. Hey son. I'm trying to figure out how to put this link up. Here we go. Okay. Morning. Morning.
the Lord has done in your life. Take a moment and think of all the things the Lord has done in your life. And it shouldn't take long to think of a reason to bless him tonight. I told him before I came out here, Lord, thank you for even allowing me to come. Thank you that you've allowed me to come into your presence tonight. What a privilege this is to lift our hands and lift our voices in worship to the one true living God who responds to our worship. He responds to us tonight. Can you lift your hands all over this room and just tell him thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Your name really is worthy tonight, Jesus. And you really do deserve all of the praise, all of the glory, all of the honor. Oh, you've done great things, and you will do great things. You're doing great things in this room. Well, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 28. Oh, that's that's so much better. We'll just get real time here. So we were in a prayer meeting like um, a couple weeks ago. I think it was on Thursday at the house at Tom and Janie's place. And uh, we got into worship and the Holy Spirit, you know, just says, says this so clearly, I, I wouldn't say it was an audible voice, but definitely internal audible. And uh, and he said, I, I am uh, I am with you and always until the end. 
and I, you know, I didn't know where that was at. And so uh, I just went on the, you know, the Google like we do. And I looked it up and I find this is the last thing that he's going to say to his disciples before, you know, this, this whole thing's going to come down and he's going to go back to the father and be with the father. And everything Jesus says is very important to us, but I think his last rites or last words are so like we want to take like maybe even more of a particular attention to it and i was like i said i was like in the worship and the spirit of god is so strong and he says remember this when you call to your memory um because first of all he's he's giving them a command um you know a lot of people today don't like someone to give them a governing rule or something that tells them what to do. Like, I don't want to be told what to do. Uh, we find this out in our families. We find it out in society. It's a real independent spirit that's pervaded our culture and pervaded even, even within the church. And the Lord in all of his kindness and his authority and who he is says, hey, I'm going to give you a command. I want you to teach them everything and obey what I've told you to do, but I want you to remember this, that, and that, you know, years ago, I think it was, um, it was 2009, I know 2008, uh, no, it was April the 3rd, actually, 2009, it was right before MZ Hop started up, I was in prayer that night, I was worshiping the Lord, the next day was going to be Easter, and I was pacing the floor, and the presence of God was so strong. And he says this to me. He says, sovereignty rests in the individual at the point the individual rests in the sovereign. And so real authority rests in us when we rest in him. And so when he's saying here, remember this. Remember I am. Now, this is the same I am that, that meets them on the water. This is the same I am that met Moses at the, at the burning bush. This is the same I am that doesn't need to characterize himself by even saying I am he. Or, this is I am is just a, a, a statement of who he essentially is. Mm -hmm. And that you and I can have confidence in that and rest in him as I am. Again, his sovereign right and his sovereign goodness uh, to govern our lives. And, and that we would want him um, that we would want him as he really is and all of him and we wouldn't want anything else that we don't need to add anything to Jesus and we don't need to add, take anything away. You know, when you, you and I feel like sometimes like we don't know what to do or the vacancies coming in on us and, or even this world, it seems like there's so many distractions and so many things coming that we could literally just sit and just say you're, you're everything, even like right now. I never thought in a million years we'd be on a doing something like this. I could have never conceived it. But God is I am to you right now in the seat and in your family and in your homes. You know, he's ever present help in time of trouble. 
He sees our needs. He sees our desires. He sees our longings of the human heart. He knows us. And he says, I am. Now remember this. He says, I am with you. The note in the NET version says that that's what, where it means, Emmanuel, that is, God is with us. And it's linked back to Isaiah uh, chapter number 714. Um, I'm going to bring this up. 714 says, and for this reason, the Lord himself will give you a confirming sign. Look, this woman is about to conceive and will give birth to a son. Uh, you, young woman, you will call him Emmanuel. And... Um, in some translations in Isaiah there, Isaiah 7:14, some have said that there was actually a young woman there. It may have been a, an allusion to Mary, but they say that there was a young, possibly a young woman, and he was saying, and you will name him Emmanuel. You will say that he's Emmanuel, that he is God with us. Also, in Isaiah 8:8, 8, 8, it says there, it says, it will spill into Judah flooding and engulfing as it reaches to the necks of its victims. He will spread his wings out over your entire land, O um, Emmanuel. And then also in 8.10, it says, devise your strategy, but it will be forwarded. Issue your orders, but they will not be executed, for God is with us. So in, in, in the illusion or in the, uh, the looking back of Isaiah, when the Lord himself is saying, remember this, I am with you, that God is with us. And I, and I, was, I was on my knees and the words like, this is going to be proclaimed by the end time remnant church like you've never seen before. The, the end time churches that we are moving into these last days and the end times, even if our enemy was to devise a strategy against us, and even if things seem like they're, you know, the foundations of government and things that seem like that they're really, really uh, being challenged right now, that the testimony that we really have right now is to know that God is with us, to know that Emmanuel is very present right here. I'm sure for you that he's been rushing in on you and your and your families. Maybe you felt it in a way. I, I feel it in a way that it always feels when the word comes near to me, it normally feels that I'm vacated of everything that I placed my trust in. It's like the things that I thought was going to support us and our family, they seem to be put in a place of challenge. And in that moment of challenge, um, I find him to be that he wants to come in and be so real that he loves us and he wants to make himself known to us. Um, now, this weekend I had anticipated so much in like beginning uh, uh, preaching something that was on a series called The Atomic Nexus. And I was reminded of uh, an, uh, something that happened back in August. Um, I believe it was August 21st of, uh, let's see, I believe it was 2011. And um, 
I, I had got up that morning and I had been prepared to preach that Sunday. And I, I had this understanding of this Greek word. The, the word is pleroma. The, I don't know, maybe you can, you can look into this, but it means the fullness or the consummation of the end of the age and the fullness of all things. And I got up to preach about the pleroma of God and the end of the age. And when I did, my mouth was uh, struck mute. And I was standing up there. We were in the Skyland Fire Department. I was really, really wanting to, like, get this message out and say, I mean, really, honestly, it's a very bodacious thing to get up to preach the fullness of the end of the age and the consummation of glory and to say this and be able to proclaim it out of my mouth. And so I get up to say it. I'm going to preach this message. I'm all excited about it. And next thing you know, I cannot, I can't get words to come out of my mouth at all. And so I was a little bit embarrassed and I got down behind the pulpit and got down on my knees. And, and then I asked the Lord, please help. Don't put me as a preacher in front of everybody like this and not be able to speak. Uh, your word is, is a, like I said, is a, a little bit embarrassing, but I cannot speak. And I hear the Holy Spirit say to me, you're trying to speak words that are too lofty for a man to utter. Uh, you can't say those words. And about that time, Jeff Manning, he comes up to the front and and truly like the, uh, the power of the word comes on him. And he says, the fault line has been exposed. He says, uh, you know, Jeff would have to attest to this, but that's what I heard him say. The fault line in this nation has been exposed or something to that effect. And I was down there and I said, oh, the fault line, that must be, I think that's the in, the uh, inverse of uh, play Roma because the uh, other Greek word for like fault line or earthquake is schizo. And it means there's like a crack in the foundation or something's wrong in the foundation. And this something was really, really wrong. And I couldn't preach fullness without God dealing with the foundation that was uh, an issue even within our nation. And Two days later, and, and some of you may remember this, I believe it was August 23rd, 2011, and you could check me on this, but a couple of days later, um, the an earthquake, I think they say it came up from Richmond, Virginia. Some say that it came up even out of Spartanburg, and I'm not sure on this, but it went up and it cracked the capstone on the uh, Washington Monument, and it knocked a, uh, a spire off the National Cathedral. And uh, I remember Jeff and I having some kind of dialogue about this, and we realized that there was a default line of the way this found, the nation was founded was, was improper, and that the, you know, the phallic symbol of the Washington Monument, the masculinity, the false masculinity, the capstone gets cracked. And then the feminine aspect that has to do with the uh, National Cathedral, that spire falls off the National Cathedral, because that earthquake had been up there. And, and what we began to talk about, uh, Jeff and I was, is that God was exposing the foundation of our nation that was built on a false masculine and false feminine. And really the foundation was laid in a, a, a new world order ideology and a, a free Masonic type reality. And that the Lord was going to put in and install a new foundation even within our nation and the nations of the world of a, a Melchizedek order. And I remember the, you know, kind of the phrase that started to come to me that 
there would be a there was a new world order, but the word was going to bring in his uh, government, being the Melchizedek order, and install something there that was proper in regards to covenant and in regards to proper masculinity and proper femininity, because um, as you know that God Himself is has you know both the male and the female in Him. You know, I'm sure many of you, you, you probably see what's going on in the news and you understand that there is a real, real war against the family. There's a real war against uh, true masculinity and true femininity. There's been a war in regards to the covenants. First, our covenant with the Lord, the everlasting covenant. And there's been a war in regards to our families. The enemy has, has attacked our family and the nuclear family and uh, tried to come in against uh, our marriages and our extended families. Um, and this has been something the Lord has been after. In this hour, probably, I think he's after this more than anything. And I, you know, I want to say that there are so many aspects. There's probably a million. I don't know. But there's so many aspects that are against the proper union of male and female mm-hmm. and the family. And the Lord is, I believe, is wanting to establish uh, something within this nations and the nations of the world to put us back into covenantal love and union between one another, but ultimately as a picture of our union with Christ. And that this will result in the transformation of the age, which will lead to a, a glorification of man. You know, I'm not, it's not my business here to, you know, to make anyone feel bad about or what they've been through with their own families. That's not what I'm about with this message. It's just, there's a deep love in the heart of the father to restore the family. And I'm sure that many of you would agree with that. And there's, again, there's been so much that's come against our homes. But the Lord loved, he loves the family and he started with the family. You know, when we when we started the Collider downtown, and it's it's a beautiful story, but the word's like, I want to take this covenant family that we are, and I want to take you back into a place, and we had to basically uncover this back into a place, Asheville, and come to find out that a man by the last name of Davidson had named the city originally Edenland. I want to take a family back in and uh, many of our families. I want to bring you back in. I want to restore covenant. I want to put things back together. I, I want to repair what was lost, even at the fall. I want to restore the nuclear family. And I, I remember the words like, you know, you're going to travel west. You're going to go back in and go back through the, uh, the flaming swords. And uh, our ministry does this. We go through so many amazing prophetic encounters together of entry back into the place of uh, union with the Lord. I I don't know if y'all remember last year, December time, light was beginning to come into our meetings, our events. And I remember I was standing up there one day and I just, again, it was another moment where I was sort of struck. Stephen and I both were with just didn't know what to sing or what to say. I remember not feeling so forlorn and like left open and vacated in front of everybody. I, again, not knowing what to do. 
um, somewhat like I feel today, again, you know, a little bit on this thing that we're doing today, but just standing there and saying, where are you at, Lord? And I, I remember that evening, how the Holy Spirit came and he, he showed me uh, what the first question that he ever asked Adam was, where are you? Adam and Eve, after the fall, had lost their spatial orientation. You know, we'll find out later, Solomon will say, God is light. Um, uh, Moses will say that, that I'm going I'm to run into the darkness where God is. Um, Solomon, again, will say that he's, he's around, a thick cloud is around him and he's, he's light. Later on, we're going to see that in James chapter 1. And the Lord said, you know, you've got so used to hearing with sound, but you don't know how to perceive me by light. He'd say things to me like, sheep hear, but kings see. I'm wanting to open up your perceptive capability again through connotation where you can begin to peer across the veil into what's going on all around you, the kingdom of heaven at hand. I want you to begin to behold me by light because that's what I, that's who I am. I'm light. James 1 will say that in him is no variable or shadow of turning. And he said, you know, we had lost our orientation. We didn't know where we belonged. We, we didn't know how to find our footing in this world. Mankind was going around trying to work out some kind of thing everywhere, you know, plant a garden here, build a business there, do all these things that we've been doing, but we had lost our our relationship with him. And in some capacity, I'd heard about the Lord all my life uh, since I was a week old, but he began to open up my ability to see him, uh, to see him in the daily round and the regular things that we were doing through life and began to behold him. Uh, maybe it makes you think of Job 42.5. I mean, Job says this after his, you know, great suffering that he went through. He says, um, he said, I, I heard about you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. And he said, I abhor myself and I repent in dust and ashes. In Psalms 13, I believe David will write, he says, Lord, enlighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. You know, Jesus will say, I only do what I see my father doing. And we're back at the garden. We're in Eden land. There's Adam. There's Eve already starting to put on something to cloak their, their sense of nakedness. They were so like integrated with light and they walked with him in the cool of the day and something had started to disconnect the light from them. And they, they weren't in this I am relationship with him anymore. There was a, a movement away to begin to uh, independent themselves from him. And so in this hour, you know, we're going back into the garden of Eden land and the Lord's like, I'm going to restore a covenantally of people back to me. I'm going to begin a movement in this land and I'm going to get a people together that are going to believe me and access me by light. They're going to be connected to me as I am. I am. It started to make sense to me a little bit later. I think it was actually Rafi Assad in a prayer meeting. He says, he said, did you ever think of it, Carol, that why am I is I am why? And I thought, you know, there's something to this. There's something to I am. There's something to I am being with us that, that he wanted to connect to us. And so we go through this whole series of events. I mean, so exhaustive and so beautiful as the Lord has been about restoring us as a covenantal family 
uh, back together, that we will not be disconnected anymore as as the family of the Lord. There's been, there's been so much disconnection. There's been so much independent self. And the Lord has wanted to bring us back together by this exposure that we've been feeling because light has been coming to us, the light of I am, and it's been exposing our it's been exposing us to one another, to ourselves, to uh, to connect back to Him. I mean, as you know, there's been there's so much to be said about the Christian Church today, but there's been so much of um, I think a lot of sound, a lot less light. So this week I was uh, before the Lord this last week, and I I was asking Him. I said, "What's going to happen this weekend?" And I opened up a book that I've been looking at by Meredith Klein. It's called God, Heaven, and Armageddon. And I, I opened the book up, and it says on page 214, it says, Play Roma. And I got to tell you, I was so excited. I couldn't wait for Sunday. I could not wait for today. Because, you know, 2011, I'm struck dumb. I can't speak. And then here we are in 2022, this week, and I opened my book up, and it says "Play Roma," and the Lord's like, "I'm going to let you share with this now." And uh, it comes off the back end of uh, our trip up to York, which is a really amazing trip. Uh, Kara and I just got back this week from Savannah, Georgia, and also uh, Hilton Head. We just got in last night. An amazing time, honestly, amazing time. I end up, maybe I'll share a little bit of that, but. But when I look down at this play, Roma, Meredith Klein says, with our arrival at the finale of the ages-long Armageddon warfare, part three, we are brought back to the issues that were covered in this book in part one. Now, I've already introduced some of this material, but I'm just going to read a couple things he says. And it was kind of funny to me. I looked down and it said part three, and I think Tom McManus had just texted me, the ministry just went rogue 3.0 <laughs> from Sunday, and you know, uh, and I said, "Oh, it's uh, this is rogue 3.0, this part three. But he he says something here that, and hopefully this is, hopefully you, you can hear this uh, from what Meredith Klein is saying. I, I look down and it says, the glorification metamorphosis, and he says the glorification of the saints at Christ's second advent is the vanquishing of death, where the divine action play Rome at the, the end of the age. Now, uh, be mindful that when I started this, the Lord says, you know, I am with you, what? Even until the end of the age. And he goes on to say, he says, a metamorphosis, and I think some of you have been hearing me talk about chrysalis or the chrysalis, um, that we heard another preacher out of Bethel, I forgot what his name was, but he was saying that we in the church right now are not in a transition. We are in a metamorphosis. Uh, this is not a transition. Many of us have been through many transitions. We're not even in a seasonal shift as a people. We're actually in a metamorphosis. That's why what's about to happen on the scene, what's about to, what you're about to see globally begin to happen and why the church itself is shifting out of an old wineskin paradigm is because we're not in a seasonal shift. 
uh, we're not in a transition. Transitions have their own mechanisms and the thoughts behind them. What you're in the middle of and we're all in the middle of is a metamorphosis. The Lord has a new wineskin. It's called the glorification of man. The structure that we've been in, the body that you're in, it can only be pushed out so far before it has to, that we have to and we will put on immortality. And the Lord broke this down for me, and I introduced this to you last week, but I want to introduce this in four points that comes from Klein. And if you're taking notes, I would take notes on this. There is a probation phase. There is a conferral phase. There is a confirmation phase and a consummation phase. So again, we have probation. We have conferral. We have confirmation and we have consummation. Now, the probation phase is primarily concerned with uh, the garden, the Garden of Eden. I was really excited to find that out because I find this out in retrospect because we've been in Eden land. And I find out that the Lord has been taking many of us through a probationary period because where Adam and Eve had failed in their, because they had chosen an independent way. Meredith Klein talks about this, about how the Lord had introduced the temptation into the garden and give them a, uh, do not eat from this tree for in the day that you do, you surely will die. That the Lord has been placing us or we've been placed in a probationary period to see. Will you align yourself with the blue and the red? Will you align yourself with a left-based ideology or a right-based ideology? Or will you, will you look at me and eat from the tree of life? And so much of the church right now, this is why the crown reaper was sent in because, and I mean the coronavirus, it was to expose the hypocrisy. <clears throat> it was to expose the left and the right to all of us. It is to expose our duplicity. The Lord introduced the crown because there's a crown coming. Again, you've heard me say this a lot, that we're a royal family. We're of a purple line. We're not meant to be eating from a blue system or a red system. Because those two systems, they, were, they, they are the manifestation of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And they manifest themselves politically religiously and economically in, in the systems of our uh, world. And what the Lord is doing right now and what Jesus' blood has paid for is to begin the exposure of extracting out of our nature where the blue and the red has pervaded our very nature and install his own life into us, the tree of, the, the tree of life into us, that we would be a royal family. You will find that this royal family, we will connect and we will love one another and we will be one with the covenantal God in the everlasting covenant. That this blue and this red has it's destroyed humanity. It's, it's brought us, it's attacked our families, it's, it's separated us from one another. And the Lord is saying like never before that we felt the pain of COVID-19, many of us, because it is separated and exposed and shown, uh, even some of us, our, our own duplicity, our own unwillingness to come near, even in the middle of either fear or 
uh, I don't want to be around that. Or I mean, it has shown us so much of ourselves. And we can decide to move forward in this in repentance and turn to the Lord and, and say, Lord, I'll take your crown as the divine sovereign monarch that let your Davidic monarchy come forward. I want you as king. I don't, I don't want even the, and I'll say this carefully, but even the president of the United States is under either a blue or red or both systems. This is not what God ordained for men or a woman. This is the result of the fall. Now, Jesus, of course, as second Adam has paid uh, the price by his blood at the cross to restore us back to himself. And so this, again, now just to snap back with me, this probationary period that many of us are going through right now with the Father was meant to reconnect us with I am. And so that we could come back into the sense of actually who we really are in him. Again, many of us are being exposed and many of us are being challenged in our loyalty. You know, the state is not going to back off, ladies and gentlemen. They're going to keep pushing blue and red. They're going to try to shove that down our throats to eat from it. And they're going to threaten our economy with it because that's the way the power, the Antichrist power works. It's we're, we, we can right now, many of us are going to have to determine if we've not already determined that our king will provide, protect and direct us that God's provision, his economy, his direction, his prophetic voice and the word will direct us and uh, he will protect us that like Psalms 33 says that, that a king doesn't need to raise up an army. God's king doesn't need an army. God's king isn't, doesn't work off of his own strength. The Lord right now wants us to connect ourselves fully to his exposure of light back in through the garden, be restored in our families, realize the royalty that the enemy has tried to strip from our families, the true economy, the true relationship, the real government that is the Lord's. And to, to come through this probationary period it's going to test your mettle because you'll find that you will decide in your heart who you're going to give allegiance to. You will pledge allegiance to the lamb or to the state. There's this dividing line is on us like never before. And again, it's only going to get more and more and more obvious to many of us. And I think you can see it. It's what's coming down. And I believe it'll result in the mark of the beast and Antichrist being revealed. And so you, you heard me mention probation. And I preached this out of Daniel 9 last week. I would invite you to go back and listen to that message and take that message serious. Get you out a notepad. Really hear that message. Uh, I believe it comes directly from the Lord. And I believe it will be helpful to so many because I deal with this probationary stage. And then I deal with conferral uh, out of Daniel 9. And I point out that there are two temples that arise. They're going to rise, a third temple that's going to rise in the earth in this hour. One is the temple that will be rise that the Antichrist will go in and stop the sacrifice and offering. And it will be the abomination of desolation. But there's also a temple that's inside of us that God is building that's going to result in the glorification of man. There is a period that, that the word designed in Daniel 9 
of a process that he puts the saints through to prepare them. And, and what we find out or what I found out was he had ordained uh, 70 weeks. Now, again, please go back and listen to that because it'll be really helpful because uh, there's a storyline that's been playing out in the collider with all of us of a 62-week probation and a seven-week conferral of which today actually marks the beginning of the 69th week that we've been in process. Uh, on the 23rd of January, we'll, in, in our ministry, the way it's been set up, we'll begin the 70th week. And then the 500th day of Collider will be February the 2nd, 2022, which happens to be 2222, which I believe is a reference to the uh, key of the House of David. So again, let's go back through this. There's a probationary stage that the God's remnant family are going through that you, you will have to pass probation, or you will. Uh, I believe it's very important that you understand that this exposure of the light of the Father that's coming to you, to not resist him when he comes to expose uh, the presuppositions of the human heart. It always isn't going to feel good. And I want to just talk about some of my own experiences with this, because every time, again, God's light comes to me, and I, I mentioned this earlier, but it always feels like vacancy or like everything that I thought I had my hope in is not working out for me. And it, it honestly, it doesn't feel good. I think the Lord runs a risk coming near people because his love is so selfless and our our life sometimes is so like driven to needs and wants and hardship and things that that a tendency is when this light comes near you. What I found myself doing was point a finger at someone else, blaming someone else, or also blaming myself. And the Lord wants to come in and just heal your heart in that place of that vacancy that started with the fall. And so if you begin to experience this or something sets it up, I don't know, for some of you, it may feel like, uh, I always felt like it was like someone came and nicked me. What do you call that, guys, when someone nicks you or someone, they get you? Surgery. Well, surgery. <laughs> you know, when um, your breath gets knocked out of your, I think sometimes we call certain people pricks because... <laughs> You we feel pricked, or you'll feel that like something it grates all over you. It'll feel like it goes all over you, and it might make you feel diminished all of a sudden. Some uh, remember the Lord said to Paul, uh, He said uh, Satan has uh, been discharged against him or something, and He said, "Take this thorn away." But He said, "My grace is sufficient." Thank you for the abundance of revelation that had come to him. It's kind of like that. Um, what I found when the word comes near, it feels like something just opened me up and a flood of something just rushed in. And it hurts. It's really painful. I don't, I don't want to diminish anybody else's pain. Some of us, the way we deal with this is, you know, we try to medicate it. Some people are using, overusing pharmaceuticals. We might be using trying to go buy things. We might misuse um, alcohol or some kind of opioids or something just to make us feel better. 
And I, what I want to challenge you to do is, because probation is upon us, is that when you feel that exposure or that nick comes and it opens you up, or uh, like if you were to take a balloon and you were to blow it up with helium and you stuck it with a pin and all the air went out of it, that when that emotion comes and it feels like you're reeling out of control, or when your mind feels like, at least for me, it's felt like my mind was going to crack. Like literally, one time it felt like my face, my kids laugh at me because I said my face felt like it was falling off my face because the pressure is so strong. I think it's why Jesus sweat drops of blood. And not because he had sin, but because he was taken on ours. And because it, it's like stress sometimes it comes in. So again, the tendency would be to, how do I medicate this? I go buy something else. I go, maybe some of you, you know, you throw yourself into work. I'm just going to throw myself at work. I'll, I'll push through it. But something makes you feel like you just can't get a breakthrough. What I would, what I want to suggest to you is when that comes on you, when that feeling begins to come on you, that you go ahead and you get your worship out. You get in the word of God and you wait on the Lord and you let him heal your heart because he's coming near to you. And the first thing it'll feel like is you got someone's done you wrong. Your finances went out of order. Uh, something just went out of somebody said something to you. It hurt you that you weren't noticed properly and you'll feel it come on you. I want to invite you into this that. That is, the Lord is, it's the law, basically, that's a schoolmaster to bring you to Christ. And he's drawing you through that emotion to himself. And that you don't try to resist, like, point a finger at yourself, because the enemy is really quick to say, look at you, you worthless nobody, you see what you did again, see how you failed again, see how you you don't do it right, see how you hurt somebody, or to get you to look at someone else and say, that person's caused me all my pain and caused me my problems and is creating this issue for me, and um, I'm mad or I'm really sad. Listen, madness comes from the right of the tree. Sadness comes from the left. Sometimes, I don't know if y'all experience this, but usually if I get hit like that, anger comes first, despair comes second. Instead of madness and sadness, though, the Lord wants us into gladness. But you can't fake gladness, and I can't fake it. You know, we can't fake it till we make it either, because a glad heart has to come from him when he washes you. And so you wait on him. Just wait on him. Wait on him and let his voice come and speak to you in a tender way. It might mean that you need to stop everything you're doing. And, uh, you know, I can't do that, Carol. Well, I want to challenge you to consider that. Sometimes I've had to pull with my vehicle over the side of the road. Uh, sometimes I've had to stop all my everything and it yeah. and get alone and say, Lord, what are you saying to me? Because this is where a lot of conflict comes in some of our marriages too, and big blow-ups come because you feel that uneasiness and then you don't want you don't know how to deal with it, so you start trying to deal with it with each other. And it usually will not be a pretty sight. I can tell you that in my own marriage, it doesn't result in a, it, it, it's not pretty. The best thing for you to do is get along with the father and wait on him. 
Wait on him until this. Listen to this. Psalms 110.1. The Lord said to my Lord, sit until your enemy becomes your footstool. The Lord was looking at the Lord. And he's saying, I'm going to look at you. And I'm going to wait on you as my I am until I am is present in me. And now I can come into proper governing. As he said, now you can release the scepter out of your mouth, rule in the midst of your enemies. Again, if Adam would have done this in the garden, if he would have just kept looking at the Lord and waited on the word of the Lord, he wouldn't have chose his own protection, his own direction, and his own provision. The Lord would have took care of all three for him. The Lord will protect you, the Lord will direct you, and the Lord will provide for you. The Lord wants to be everything for you. He wants you to be fully dependent on him because he's going to outdo you every time. You can't outdo a king. So he wants to bless you beyond what you can even imagine. And so you wait on him in that moment and you let him right the wrongs. You let him, you let him do it because he wants to do it for you. Now, this is what the probation is about. The probation is there to teach us to rightfully relate to him as I am and light. It's there to open our eyes back up to him through, uh, listen to my podcast called the uh, Moby Condor or listen to the one called The Expanse about uh, denotation and double connotation. He wants you to begin to perceive across the veil and see what heaven says. He wants you to get a, an understanding of that. And what I've found is in these moments when you're sitting before the Lord, and he's coming near like this to expose the human heart and something's hurt you that he will speak to you every time. And it, he's right there around you. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so you're going through what Jesus says, repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The repentance is opening you up to the double connotation. What do I mean by that? Heaven is objectively real. It means that the Lord is right there at your hand. What it'll be every time is you will not at first perceive him. And then all of a sudden, he will present himself in a way that you you would be surprised if you had your eyes wide open, but you couldn't see him. And then all of a sudden, he will make himself known to you. And it's out of that reality that this peace begins to settle into your soul. That's the light that you need for that particular encounter. The Lord knows when you observe him in that way with that light, and you will feel this. I've done this hundreds and hundreds, and I'm, I bet many of you have too. I just want to encourage you to stay in it. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times, the Lord will make himself known in the middle of just unreal pressure. I start to perceive what heaven is saying about the situation. It is always completely different than what my emotion is saying and my thinking is saying. I perceive him with double connotation because out of the mouth of two or three witnesses let a thing be established uh, i believe that's deuteronomy 19 he'll give two witnesses it'll match his word the word the logos word and he will usually usually not always but manifest his presence which is the ultimate witness into your life and you will feel his presence come in and it will heal that place Kara and I got into this so much, I was like, I started to get excited when the pressure would come. 
Uh, wait for him. Wait for him. Wait for him. He's coming. He's coming. You know, the kids are having a birthday tomorrow and we have no money. You know, that is not something that I like as a daddy. And she doesn't as a mother. And we can't ask anybody. And wait for him. We got one sent our name. Wait on him. Wait on him. He loves our babies. He loves our babies. We love our babies. But I'm not going to let my babies or even my wife or her uh, with me get in the place of my covenantal loyalty to him. I can't because this is where the rubber meets the road. Does he love our families? Yes. But you must love me first, says the Lord. You must serve me first. And uh, sit there, sit there, wait for him, wait for him, wait for him, wait for him. Protection's coming, direction's coming, provision's coming. I'll wait on you, Lord. And out of nowhere, out of ex nihilo, which means out of nothing, God creates. God sends however it's his decision. Sometimes he'll blow you away. Sometimes it'll be, I mean, we've had it be, we're out of gas. We'll get $5. It gets us to the next stop and then to the next stop, to the next stop. And many of us, we don't like to live like that. But I want to tell you, I just want to warn you. I want to say this in advance, whether you want to live like this or not, <laughs> you're going to live like this because this world system will not be able to support us anymore. And uh, this is why I believe he's raised up in time leadership. He's raising up in time move because he wants to, he wants us to know time and time and time again. And I can tell you thousands and thousands of times he met our family, thousands. I mean, we had to learn to get unhooked from the other system, completely uh, weaned off of it, and live off the life of heaven. And so don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to trust his goodness. He is a good father. And whether or not our lives, whether or not our lives are held even to the death, it would not be worth you giving up your loyalty to Jesus by selling out your own life. Listen. This thing's coming on us, and this is the glory of the end of the age, that God's sons and daughters would be fully, fully eating from the tree of life without spot or wrinkle. The greatness of the Pleroma is upon us. The fullness is, is that we would be sons and daughters who would be not independent anymore, but completely, completely dependent uh, upon him. How is this going to happen again? You and I, many of you, and I can't stay. You can ask the Holy Spirit what state of training you're in, but you you will, sons and daughters of the Lord, you will pass probation. Jesus paid for it. You will be conferred upon. The Lord is wanting to give you something greater than what maybe you're holding on to. Many of us try to hold on to things. Now, I said this last Sunday that, because Kara, we were riding together to York when I was talking to her about this. And she said, I don't really understand. And I said, well, let's use Cinderella. And she goes and gets the movie, puts it in the DVD system in the truck, and we play it. I was like, let's use Cinderella. That'll help you to understand. Cinderella was a young lady whose dad had an estate that was, let's just say he was, he was, um, I don't know what you call it today, would maybe middle class to upper class. He was a landed gentry, uh, Jamie just said. Um, 
so he he had his land he had a nice place um and then as you know uh her mother passes and then he he marries what will become her wicked stepmother and she gets two sisters and then her daddy passes away and so she's left as heir apparent to the estate but because he had married the lady it actually turns over to her because uh she is his wife and so she's put into a place of um what i want to suggest is probation she's going to learn and this isn't in the the latest cinderella movie i'm talking about the one right before this one but she's going to learn something called take courage and be kind in the middle of being completely unknown misunderstood not wanted and put back into into an enslaved condition within her own rightful daddy's estate and so in this way we see that she's encountering a probationary period many of us we actually don't realize this but we were born into bodies in the middle of probation we left heaven we were with the father before time began we were thrown into these bodies and we wait we wake up come out of our mother's bellies and we wake up in the middle of probation because our mom and daddies were in probation and they're going through it and they teach us how to go through it they say son or daughter this is how you make it in life we don't have anything some of us some of you were raised in you know maybe that had some uh gentry within your family genteel families most of us were not you know we wake up and we're almost like in an orphan condition. And we're like, well, the way you make it in life is uh, you gotta work for this guy and this lady and you just gotta, you gotta learn. It's the only way you can make it in life, son, the daughter, uh, get, get at it. And, uh, you know, some of our families we were raised in, uh, maybe there was divorce, maybe there's, uh, uh, maybe there's just pain in the home. There's some of our families are raised in, there's drunkenness, there's, I mean, some of us were raised by good parents, but all in all, you find out that almost all of us people were uh, stripping each other of self-worth. There's no dignity. Uh, we're being abused. Uh, they're saying, take these drugs, drink this, drink this. It'll make you feel better because your life's going to be hell. Not realizing we just had left glory. Our memories are sort of wiped. We don't know who we are and we get in this world and and the lord knows that we're his sons and daughters we uh many of us are born again when our eyes begin to open up to the kingdom we begin to awaken and i think it's much like cinderella she was forgotten they didn't care who she was uh, she's going to go and uh clean the smut out of stoves and now i think if you think many of our lives have been somewhat that way um, I would say out of 12 people, at least 10 of you have experienced that. The other two of you were probably raised in maybe aristocratic homes or better off homes. And uh, maybe you had a better upbringing. But even if you were in the blue family, the 10, or you were in the red family, still there was something that's missing. And you know this no matter what side you come from, no matter what status, if you were the if you were of the 10 of the blue class or you were in the, the working class families or you were in the right of the mind-based classes and the professional class class of society, 
You came out of one of them. So Cinderella is going through that. But one day, and you know, I don't necessarily believe in magic, but I do believe in the kingdom of God. She gets conferred upon. She gets her situation gets changed. Uh, the fairy godmother comes to her and puts on her uh, sense of newness, of, of uh, royalty. Um, she becomes something that she was not, and she begins to be seen. And as you know, the future king is calling throughout all the land for the maiden. All the maidens of the land, no matter what class they are, it doesn't matter if they come from the genteel classes or they came from the, the blues or the reds, uh, we're going to allow them all to come in and everyone will have an opportunity. And so, as you know, the story, uh, she goes to the ball and she ends up dancing with the future king. But the conferral that she has wears off, right? Remember, she has to run out. But something's left behind, a glass slipper. And so uh, they find the glass slipper. She goes back to her rags. Now, what I want to suggest is, is that she had been conferred upon, but she has to wait on confirmation. And because her probation actually had come to a close when she was conferred on by the fairy godmother. But now there would be a desire in her to, oh my goodness, they've got to know. I'm pretty special. I'm a royal. But she can't say anything. And in the story, she'll end up being locked up inside of the top of a tower where nobody's possibly going to ever know who she is. And as you know, the story goes that they hear her sing in a little tune because even in the middle of possibly it's all done for for her, her little tune is heard. And in that little tune, that trying, learning not to be known and learning to be okay because she really was seen, she knew that dance. She knew that she was loved. They find her, right? And they, they go and they confirm her by what? Putting the slipper on the foot, the shoe that fits. And then what happens? She gets married the consummation. There's going to be a consummation. And I want to suggest that many of us, many of us, many of us right now, we know that we're the sons and daughters of the king. We know. And many in the church have, and I want to suggest this too, have not, some people, they really want everybody to know how special they are. <laughs> you know, Maybe in a wrong kind of way. Um, and maybe some people don't want to know. They're okay with not being known. I would suggest that's probably a better thing. But you get to be known by him. And I think it's at the point when you begin to be known by him in this probation that the Lord begins to come out and say, it's time for me to confer something on you. I want to give you something larger than what you thought you had. I, Cinderella I mean, she's, again, she, the genteel house that her daddy has is not a bad deal. But she's going to receive the whole kingdom. <laughs> and your, our enemy would like to keep telling us to hold on and grasp after the little things we have in this life. When our father is really looking into us, checking our loyalty, seeing that our love and devotion is to him. 
changing our nature so that we can actually govern and rule and reign with him because he's wanting to give us so much more. He's wanting to give us the whole kingdom. And I think many people are missing probation. I'm going to tell you. Because we're wanting to hang on to the little bit that we have. And the Lord is wanting us to come close to him. Um, I think it could be harder if you have a lot. My good friend, Gus Vickery, he told me one time, he said, you know what's good, Carol, is you have nothing left to lose. <laughs> you know, and I said, you know, he said, I'm not saying that as a, a derogatory statement. That's, that's a compliment. And I said, you know, it's not a bad thing when you get to the point when you have nothing to lose in this world and you have everything to gain in Christ. Like when you come to the end of everything, I mean, why fight it? Why keep hanging on to the, why keep hanging on even if your daddy had a, a genteel place to live? Why keep hanging on to that when the Lord's want to give you the whole kingdom? What if he's like, oh, my goodness, I have to keep arguing with them all the time. You know, hanging on to houses and lands. You know, remember uh, remember in the early church? Well, you think those people were just giving up lands and houses for no reason? You think they were saying, dropping everything at the apostles' feet? You think they were doing that because they didn't have a revelation? Oh, no, they found the Lord to be everything to their heart. Amen. They found that he was everything. It didn't matter to them anymore. And I wouldn't even suggest that all the things the Lord is wanting to give us is the bottom line on this. Yes, he's going to give you rings and robes and cloaks and mantles and uh, crowns and, and all that stuff, but that he himself is everything. He's the desire of the nation. He's our love. He's our life. He himself wants to give himself to us. And I do believe this, that I believe that titles, I don't know what all of our titles are, uh, deeds, tracts of land, houses, uh, liquid assets, hard assets, everything to the Lord, everything. Amen. Everything that we would be willing to give up, everything that he asks you to. You know, he says, if you lose your life for his sake and the gospel, you'll find it. I mean, he's not asking you to go do this sort of like indiscriminately. He's just saying, do whatever I show you to do. I know I'll tell you, it's been a war for me and my wife and our kids, you know, not having a home. I, it, 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 it just, it just about ripped my whole insides out. I thought this cannot be like the path. You know, we don't own a home. Sometimes I think I turned 46 this month. I'm like, I still have no land ownership, no house. I'm, we're so grateful to the McManuses. It's grateful to my parents that have a home to live in for 17 years. But I'm going to tell you, the price, whatever it may be, is worth everything to gain Christ, to gain him. Uh, I think that this is what I mean about the play Roman. So what Meredith Klein gets into is the great consummation here at the end of the age is that we're going to move past move into putting on a new body, a new body that can access this heavenly reality into the earthly dimension that, that has full access. 
and that you and I right now are learning how to basically warm up to heaven's mind or heaven the way heaven is, to be able to access the kingdom and the kingdom realm and live off of that. I had broke this down, and I'm, I'm, this is just another way for you to look at it, think about it. When we got into the atomic series, there were four components to this, today being the last one, I think, in the series, at least for now. But if you take notes, there is an atomic locus, and uh, I would suggest that was Eden land. There's an atomic manus. Uh, that's a play on words of uh, Tom McManus. That manus means hand, but I preached that Sunday about, about beholding the face of God, how Jacob went from Bethel, house of God, to El Bethel, the God of the house of God, to Peniel, which means the face of the God of the house of God. He began to behold the face of God, and he lived, and that when we behold God's face, we know how to use our hands. The kingdom of God, heaven is at hand, or man, us. And so that there's a locus in Eden land, there's a manus, which is how we expand through the polis, which is the city. And then there's a conus. That was last week. Uh, that deals with the continents, or in this case, the continental United States, a, which is a megapolis, or uh, the megacities. And then there's an atomic nexus, and that's the function of today, and that would be metapolis. That means the glorification of man. And so what it meant to happen with Adam is he would move out from a place of locusts, locusts meaning Eden. He would have expanded out into the city, Manus, and built the city of God. He would have went to the Conus, which would have been the megapolis, and built cities all over the world. And then the nexus would have happened, metapolis, he would have been glorified. Instead, we're going to watch Lamech, uh, was it uh, Nimrod, build cities that are cities of uh, devilish activity. Uh, you'll see this at the Bible. And so man begins to build a name for himself instead of God making a name for man like he's going to do with Abram. And they go out into the megapolis, which is the conus or the continental United States and the continents of the world. And that's where we're at right now. Man has went throughout the whole world and nation and filled the earth and built cities all over the world. And what I believe is happening is out of Eden land and out of, out of Manus, the Lord is, is sharing with me right now, a second exodus is coming. A second exodus unto the eternal covenant. The Lord has been sharing with me concerning this ministry. I'm going to raise up a second exodus and go into the megapolis, the conus, and I want my royal family to come forward. I'm going to raise up a royal family unto me out of this crown reaper, out of this crown virus, and give language to what we've been experiencing within our families. And with this language, realizing that we are a royal family, we're a holy priesthood, we're a holy nation, and that the Lord is calling out the royal family, the remnant that is his. Many, many are going to resist this message, especially the older brother right-based community, because it's built systems of legalism, and the Lord is going to reap out of the highways and hedges and compel them to come in 
so that his house in the end of this age may be full. And he'll raise up an extended royal family to himself. Uh, for those who resist, the older brother has the hardest time with this message. The younger brother receives it actually easier than the older brother. And so the word's going to go in and begin to read. Unite us as a global royal family for unto the nexus, which is the pleroma, which is the metapolis, which is the glorification of man. This is, um, and this is what Klein gets into. Klein is, is saying that, that this is the end of the age and this is what is going to happen right here uh, now. He calls it the final epiphany, the theanthropic principle, the oneness of God and man. Uh, that God has a desire to come into union uh, with us. God is going to make himself one with man uh, in fullness. And in this fullness or this metapolis or this glorification, the end of the ages, the end of the age uh, finishes out. He, he says the cosmic end game prospect of the double, the divine and the human, which I'm, I'm today calling the nexus, the pleroma, is bound together in the incarnated, or he calls it the theanthropic Christ. Uh, this is the uh, gospel of the kingdom in the end of the age. Behold your God. Behold the Lord Yahweh comes with might, and he will feed, feed his flock like a shepherd. Amen. Hallelujah. Any comments or questions? We could try to have a discussion time now if y'all would like to or and if you want to get off that's fine as well but for the sake of everyone try to limit it, it a little bit so we can all maybe hear from each other but it, any com but any comments or um thoughts or questions because I'm, there's so much going on with this and i've said a lot today that you would like to say Remember, uh, some of you may have turned your phone on mute, so you'd have to take it off mute, because if you're talking and you're on mute, we won't be able to hear you. I do have a question. That's Sean Gerlach. Yes, ma'am. Uh, in the conferral process, when how, I, there, there comes that transition period uh, between the probation and the conferral, and when you're you're feeling that pull from from that change, what is the best way, I guess is what I'm asking, to position yourself for the change? God has been speaking to me about that. And even when I was on Orchard Road, the Lord had spoken to me without getting into any great detail. He had asked me to give up. He told me not to allow alcohol to touch my lips again, that he had something greater for me. So when you're speaking today, it was like he was telling me, I began the conferral process then, but how to enter into that. And I guess, I guess I'm looking for things. So I guess that's what I'm saying. What is it that we can look for to know that we're in each of these processes? That is a very good question that you're asking, Deborah. This is Deborah that's speaking. One of the things about the transition from probation to conferral 
first of all, personally, I did not know about probation, conferral, confirmation or consummation until a few weeks. I think it was in the 67th week that I found out about it. Um, what happened up to the 62nd week, and you'll see this in Daniel 9, was the Lord told me now, and I can't say he'll do this with everybody else, but he told me to conduct a pass and review. I had finished with the installation of the letters, uh, the mem, the lamed, the kaf, and the yod, which spells king. And with that being said, I know that the Holy Spirit deals with all of us differently. And personally, I would be really, first of all, one thing I'd be really careful about is self-deception. Because a lot of times we want to say we're somewhere that we're not. I mean, I found this in exercise and other things that we want to basically tell ourselves something that's not reality or truth. Or we want someone else to pat us on the back and tell us something. We've had prophetic words. Oh, you're this and that and that. Uh, be careful of any kind of flattery, both self-flattery or self-knowing. I'll tell you, one of, one of the things that might be a sign of transition is you might think that you're not. <laughs> you know? uh, I don't know if it's kind of like with Moses when he says, um, I'm not ready. You know, he's, why did you ask me? I'm definitely, it's definitely not, it's definitely not the case. Uh, I'll tell you that that was my experience was, um, you picked the wrong person. Right. You know? um, it can't be true. You know, what are you talking about? But I would ask number one for the Holy Spirit to give you a, a sense of, um, in this process of where maybe you're at, because ultimately the thing about Bethlehem or coming down to this place, there's two primary things. In Bethlehem, Jesus was supposed to be, Bethlehem's a place you want to be celebrated, but nobody knows. Mm -hmm. Jerusalem's the place where you're fully exposed and you don't want anybody to know, but everybody sees. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, I would say that that's probably the place where you're going through probation and you're coming into conferral. It's the place where you're okay with not being known when you should be celebrated and being known when you don't want to be known and you're exposed, but you're okay. I mean, Jesus is on a cross. He's going to move up through that cross from probation for us into conferral resurrection. Uh, Palm Sunday, yes, yeah, it's, it's a presumptive conferral by man. Uh, man's coming to say, you're amazing. You know, and then they're going to try to kill him or they're going to kill him. <laughs> yeah. You know, and so it's somewhere in that process of being okay, delighted in by the father in Bethlehem when you know he sees you and nobody else really knows you there. Like you're not having to say, guess what about me? You know, but then you're also in Jerusalem on a mount in front of everybody. You're exposed. Like Jesus was fully naked and you're like, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing because they're all pointing fingers at you. It's in that place. There's a death there on both sides of Bethlehem and Jerusalem. It hurts both ways. It hurts not to be known when you should be. 
and it hurts to be known when you don't want to be. I don't know if that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it does. Because <laughs> I'm here and I'm I'm in Mount Holly and it's like I'm um, sequestered, but I'm I'm okay. It's, it's okay. I'm good. You know, <laughs> I'm like hidden away for right now, and I'm and it's okay. It's okay. Amen, Deborah. It's um, okay. You mentioned the Lord says something to you about uh, alcohol and just staying in a place of sobriety. Is that what you're thinking yeah. there? Yes. And he said, you know, he said, I, I want you to cut covenant with me that you'll never allow alcohol to touch your lips again. He said, because I have something greater for you. Okay. And yeah. And that's been three years ago. Um, you know, just to speak to that. And I, again, on all of you, I'm not putting anything on you with this. Uh, I believe this is before you and the Lord, but uh, in Proverbs 31, Think about this, because in this time, is we're called to a place of real sobriety in the sense that we don't want our senses to be uh, dull. And um, listen to uh, Proverbs 31, the words of King uh, Lemuel, the prophecy that his mother taught him. What, my son, and what the son of my womb, and what the son of my vows? Give not thy strength unto women, nor the ways to that which destroy his kings. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes strong drink, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the judgment of any of the afflicted. Give strong drink to him who's about to perish, and wine unto one who has a heavy heart. Let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his misery no more. And one of the things is, is in this passage is, is that his mother is telling him, you're my son, you're the son of my womb, and you're the son of my vow. Don't let your strength go to women, and don't go to that which destroys you. It's not for a king to drink wine or for a prince to drink strong drink. And she says, why? Because you may forget the law and pervert the judgment of any who are afflicted. Mm. You may forget others, and I do think that uh, people enjoy enjoy things, even in moderation sometimes, because it's enjoyable. I mean, it says that right there. But it says it says it's not for kings. And God's word is breathed by the Holy Spirit. And so when we're talking about royalty, it may be that the Lord calls, you know, Paul will say that all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. Right. And I think you have to ask yourself sometimes with this is, is the Holy Spirit saying that this is permissible? Or is or is he saying, you know, is this beneficial? Because kingship is not about the benefit necessarily that comes or queenship. Let's use that language to myself. She's setting the standard in the law and others saying that others may, I may forget the afflicted and I may forget to be cognate of my loyalty. I may have a slip up here. I may do this. Now, I would suggest that to really consider that this isn't a, uh, 
oh, I'm going to tell y'all what to do and things. I'd ask you to consider the scripture here. And I'd also ask you to consider what Jesus himself says, that he will not drink again until he comes into his kingdom. <laughs> and if he's putting off that pleasure for the future, I think sometimes in leadership, that something that might be a pleasure to me, uh, the Lord might ask it of me for a season of my life. Uh, why? So that I can be a blessing to others. Or maybe I can stay like super sober minded because I, I, maybe I can't perceive light as well if I'm uh, diminished in my faculty. Because it takes real attention to pay attention to the kingdom of heaven. I, you have to be purposeful in it. And it takes sobriety. You can't be trying to doctor yourself up, self-medicate on, or not even do that. You have to be careful about the way you engage in your own enjoyment. Even though we we are allowed to have a good time. Yeah. I have to say this. I've had a I've had a good time in a lot of different ways, but I'll tell you the truth. I've never had more of a good time than I've had when the Holy Spirit shows up. Amen. And that's just the truth. And I think mm -hmm. when He comes. The spirit of God comes, it puts everything, it doesn't yes. matter what it is, yes, it on does. a lesser level than who he is himself. So uh, I don't know if that's helpful, but. It is. It is. Any other other uh, questions or thoughts or. I mean, we're all snowed in, so just enjoy this time. <laughs> <laughs> I know that yesterday. Is that Angela? I, 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 we heard yeah, it went out. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Um, I have. I didn't know what you was going to say, but yesterday the Lord spoke to me and said, "Don't be afraid to draw nigh me, because I didn't. I didn't come to condemn you." And I was condemning myself for some things that God was revealing in my life, idols I have put before him. Like, I do things first before I come to prayer. And it was just so much condemnation. And the Lord said, don't be afraid to draw nigh to me. He said, I did not come to condemn you. You're condemned already. The world is condemned already. But that I've come to restore you. I've come oh. to heal you. I've come to love you. So don't be afraid to draw near to me. And then the Lord said, um, which I was going to post it on Facebook because it blessed me so much that I thought it may bless somebody else, but I didn't. And then the Lord said, um, I'll come to restore you and bring you back to the glory you have to me from the beginning. And oh. hearing what I heard this morning, I understand why the Lord said what he said, because I was like, oh, Lord, I said I was condemning myself so much that I felt coming. I said, Lord, I didn't want you to come before your presence with condemnation. And the Lord said, I didn't come to condemn you. I come to restore you and love you. So I only said that because I felt like it was in part of what I heard this morning, what you were ministering. Amen. Yeah. Man, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Oh. <laughs> Sure. Oh, man. Hey, Carol, can you hear me? Yes. Hey, Jeff. Just thinking um, about the way you were describing our Bethlehems and our Jerusalems that it's good to ask ourselves questions, you know, like, what is it that I want to be known for and frustrated?
anticipated that I'm not known for? And what is it that I don't want to be known for? And um, we might find that what we want to be known for often has to do with what we do or the way we hear to others. And what we don't want to be known for has to do more with who we are. And then God's trying to get to the who we are, you know. Can you say that again, Jeff, uh, the way you broke that down? You're breaking down the, the who and the what, right? I guess. Um, just reflecting, you know, like on myself and my history, that when God's exposing me in a way, and then he asked me to come forward in front of others in that exposure, uh, that has to do more with 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 ontology i think we call it uh-huh you know who we are the the nature how we might feel about ourselves or the different areas that are core to to ourselves and it's uncomfortable when god is um posing something but then he's also in the midst of asking us to come out and um and like you said with moses that's how he felt you know but i i find that so often in my past when I've wanted to be known, if I kind of look at that, it, it has more to do with how I appear to others or how I uh, might achieve or do, or, you know, it's more about yourself than it is about actually, or how you appear, how you look, than it is about how you actually are. So I don't know if that makes anyone else, but just asking those questions, you know, what is it that I'm frustrated about not being known for? What is it that I am uncomfortable you know with so that's good um when when we got into the why and my the lord he said you know I'm, we're gonna have a triple entendre here and i didn't understand that but i, I just want to mention again that the lord said you know a lot of us were related to the what of doing uh, which is a masculine feature and that's related to ritual or daily routine if we went deeper into the feminine feature of of who or being that would that the technical word for that is ontology like you mentioned it's who we are and and when you have primarily in the what of doing that's that's a masculine feature you know the man will go up to each other they'll say their name they'll say what do you do for a living and then the ladies will come usually and relate to each other in being and the deeper, really, it's an existential question that we're dealing with at why am I and that we're dealing with that the Lord wants to go beyond is, again, why? That was the question that was really being asked by Eve and Adam in the fall. You know, why can't we have that? Uh, that one thing you're putting, a, uh, I was joking, not prohibition, but probation on you know, you, you had put a probation in, and we say, why? And uh, Kara brought this out, and I, I thought it was just a beautiful thing. She said that for so many years, she was asking the Lord why, and she started replacing why with Lord. And, and what you find on the other side of why is I am. Why am I? I am. And so it gets even beyond... Um, the masculinity of doing and our rituals, the who of being, 
uh, the femininity, it gets into the why, which is actually a philosophical question that's uh, cosmological. And on the other side of that, you find the Lord I am. And that's why a lot of times we have to stop what we're doing. We have to face ourselves. We face the question. And then you cross that barrier. That barrier, it's like the, uh, the hallowed place is what it was called, or it's the transition over into the golden door like Donnie uh, Peace has been talking about. That's the transition door into I am. And that's where he relates to us beyond the what, the who, and the why. Cross the barrier. There he is. I am is there. And when you go there with him, he actually gives you his life in replacement for yours. That's where the transaction of the divine nature takes place. Um, Moses, I think, was missing it. Possibly, we can't say this for sure, but he had missed this for 40 years in the wilderness, possibly. The bush was always there burning, but not consumed. But every other bush was burning up. And he might have just missed it all the time because he had to be broken. Again, probation. Uh, the probation is in place to reconnect us. And so we'd be tempted. I, I think it's fitting, Deborah, that you would point out the thing with alcohol, that there's temptations that come to us sometimes. And not to say that's a necessarily always a temptation for everybody, but there's a probation there says you can have all these things but you can't have that why not why can't i have it you know i see this with the kids if i tell them what they can't have that's the very thing they want you know uh don't tell me i can't have that uh i should get it and uh but the lord was testing their their uh, covenantal loyalty to himself there so again the the exposure of uh, bethlehem and jerusalem have to come not as that's where this thing ends, but to lead us back to I am, to this uh, crossing that over that barrier to him, uh, into him, relating to him as father. Anyone else, I mean, or comments or? Daryl, I got a question. Yes, uh, who, who's speaking? This is Austin. Oh, hey, Austin. Hey, um, two, two questions. First one's real quick. It sounds like at around week 62, we as Collider finished probation and started um, the conferral. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. The second question is now that we're in conferral, what I think of conferral is like uh, giving something. God is giving something to us. And um, if that's correct, what exactly is he, is he giving us? Is it himself? Um, well, I really believe this is why we uh, were dispatched up to York and Savannah. And this gets into this seven weeks of conferral. And I know that, you know, for me, this is very personal. Um, that's why I basically left it out, your questions. But I, it, was, it was really interesting going up to, going up to Brenda Diane Landis's house, the widow who we met and uh with tom and uh donnie and knowing from the lord he had spoke to me you know i want you to be a southern kingdom representative tom's gonna be a northern kingdom and donnie's got he's got the whole name inside of him he's got the 
Donald means world ruler and and uh, and Bruce means from the woods, which is like Ephrata or from the north or from the Ephraim. And so you get Judah Ephraim and then you got his last name means peace. And that the Lord would bring peace between the northern and the southern kingdom in the middle of a red and blue division in our nation. That God is wanting to put uh, a government back in place and we go in to, to meet with her and the Lord wants to minister to her uh, in a beautiful way he does on our whole trip. Um, but her name means, Brenda means the flaming sword of the heavenly divine ruler of the land. And at 1313 Arthur, which is, but of the greatest of these is love. You know, you have faith, hope, and love, but Corinthians 13, 13, and her, her address, 1313 Arthur. And it, it just was so telling that how the word begins to minister to Brenda. And of course he would pick out a widow. He always does, <laughs> you know, pure and undefiled religion is a widow, the orphan and the, uh, uh, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. And we arrived there on the scene and we go to York, which happened to be the founding of a document that was written for the Articles of Confederation. Uh, there's a really profound write-up on this that Pete Lineker and I have put together for our work. But it felt like to me that the Lord was conferring something considering our nation onto us because this work of the widow or the widow's might um, was an entry to the government of God. You know, you'll see this with Elisha and Elijah. You'll see this with Jesus in the temple when he said she put in more than all of them. That God was conferring, I believe, government. Uh, I believe real royal government of the land to bring forth a harvest. Uh, it was a right, like a rite of passage into the land. And there had to be an agreement. And that agreement and that love was uh, is there with uh, myself and Tom McManus and Donnie Pease. But that he would love a widow who had waited there for 45 years, wondering, what is my purpose? Who am I? And literally caused me the next day so blessed, crying, saying she's never had so much uh, move of God's spirit in her life. She's been to inner healing. She's been to counseling everything trying to help her soul and god moves on her in such power to literally completely transforms her while we're sitting in the vehicle we go to three locations one deals with materialism the first one the seven gates of hell the next one deals with sensationalism which is related to you know sexual wrong desire and lust and the third one deals with power and uh, i got to throw that ring that I'd had for 10 years into the furnace, which we find out later meant was the name of it was Helen Forge. The ring that appears to me on my desk when I'm reading about Zerubbabel 10 years before that. And if anybody would find that unbelievable, I would too. I looked up, the word said, watch the Lord of the Rings. The one ring, I'm watching the one ring to rule them all. I look down and that very ring is sitting on the left side of my Bible. Uh, through that ring, which is the grasping of power into that old furnace, Codorus uh, or Codorus furnace in York, the same place where the Articles of Confederation were written up. 
that I believe divided our land and it, it just separated and caused a civil war. Because you're going to see the red coats, that's the red, who is British imperialism, and the blue, which the blue and the gray, who are going to unite under a 13 Articles of Confederation, is going to split the nation further into the uh, north and south, the blue and gray. It's just gray's just a lighter blue. And we're going to kill our brothers and, and wound each other because this thing wasn't right at the very inception. And I mean, uh, and then what happens down in Savannah this weekend? I believe the word was conferring the right of government. And more than that, a family, a royal family for this nation. Uh, Austin, to answer your question. And because the Lord wants, uh, he wants to replace the new world order. Uh, George Washington was a Freemason, comes our first president. They laid the foundation on the cornerstone down in Washington, D.C. in a Luciferian new world order Freemasonic way. And the Lord's done with it. 244 years later, he begins to raise up a company of people that would receive the inheritance. The Lord wanted to confer, confer something even greater. I mean, yes, himself, but also, which is the, the greatest, but also the land and the seed uh, would be turned over to him and to his people. I mean, it does say that. It, kingdom is the Lord's and we shall reign. We're being marked with a conferral of a, I believe, a nation. Build out of love. No more, no more money, sex, and power. No more build off of uh, systems where man is grasping and woman's grasping in a wrong way. No more of that. It's over with. Um, mark my words, it's over with. I mean, I say that strongly because I believe that from the Lord, that the Lord has declared an end. And you're going to see it upset this whole entire nation. Don't get afraid. Just... The blue and the red system will turn on each other. It'll be like in Gideon's day. He told me in 2011, he said, when you see your capital, when you see your capital turn on each other, which was January the 6th, 2021, you'll see it in your capital. You'll know that you guys are taking ground in the kingdom because it will show up in your capital. The blues and the reds will begin coming at each other. The royal family's coming online. He told me that in 2011 when we were at Seven Day Adventist Art and running meetings. It, you'll see it in the capital, and then it'll begin to devolve. In the middle of that, the Lord's going to go on a, a reaping of his people and, and put us together. It won't be a grassroot movement. It's a root that rises out of a stump, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 13. It's a Davidic It's a Davidic monarchy it's a davidic dynasty coming forward any uh anyone else want... austin what do you think about that i think it's kind of awesome, man. exciting um um uh Vinny holman we're at the stream here and uh yesterday she was saying um and the government shall be upon his shoulders and she was saying you know his shoulders jesus's shoulders that's a, a body part of jesus a part of the body of christ uh and the body of christ is us so 
So basically, she was saying um, that what that verse means is there is um, a certain subset of the body of Christ, the people that are the soldiers, that will be carrying the government of God. Uh, would you would you interpret that verse that way? Well, um, I'm trying to remember where this verse is, and maybe someone can help me. It says, the heavens are for the Lord, but he gave the earth to man. Uh, maybe someone knows where that's at. Um, there's also a conferral, uh, and, and Bonnie Jones put this out a couple weeks ago, but there's a conferral like on Elikum, you'll see in Isaiah 22, where Shebna, Shabna will commit like a sort of a treasonous act or not act in a way that's dutiful. And so there'll be a transfer of government onto Elikim or Eliakim. There'll be a transfer over to Eliakim uh, to place the government uh, with him. Uh, you know, you've heard a lot that there's a transfer. There's a transfer of government. Uh, there'll be a, tra a great transfer of wealth. A lot of people spoke of that that the Lord would bring a transfer of government onto his, uh, his people. Uh, did you find that verse? Yes. Yeah, Psalms, uh, one fifteen sixteen. Uh, you can look at that, Austin. You have that? Uh, no, I can't, I can't do it in my phone app. At the same time. Oh, okay. I'll read it. Okay. Donnie's going to read it. Psalm, Psalm one fifteen sixteen. The highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to mankind. The earth is Lord's and the fullness thereof. Yeah. <laughs> the thing is, is uh, Jesus already owns everything. <laughs> you know, it, it, he owns everybody and everything. So the Lord, would, he would want to confer his kingdom onto his people. He, uh, because he already owns everything, and so he wants us to share and share in leadership with him, to share in uh, yeah as a co-region or a co-heir uh, with him in relation with him. Uh, I heard uh, Alan Hood say years ago. I really like this. The Lord didn't want kings with a devotional life. He wanted priests that rule, and I, I think that's very emblematic of that. So God does choose places and he does choose people. Amen. It's an incredible privilege for the Lord to, to uh, choose us and raise us so incredibly high. I mean, I would, I would be happy with, with much less than what he seems to be wanting to give us. It's just more than we can really fathom. You know, all, all the body of Christ. Some of you may have some really good comments on this. I, I just opened up the floor for you to make comments if you if you would like to, or you may have another insight. I'm thinking about the, well, let me wait for a second in case there's any comment on the present discussion before I bring up another thing. He gave the earth to Adam and Eve with the intention of allowing them to dominate the earth 
and they willfully chose to transgress against God's known law. And the consequences <laughs> fell upon us. But before we point a finger at them, what are we doing with the area of the earth in which we live for the kingdom? And for Deborah, when I realized that you were diminished with the alcohol, but you were obedient to hear the voice of God, I saw one beautiful countenance upon your face and a jubilant joy that was so powerful this last Sunday. And I commend you for having obeyed. I wonder what would have happened to Samson had he not allowed the very thing he was told not to do happen, though no doubt he repented and he took down more in his death, but he was blind and bound and humiliated. But God gave him back the strength. And God's given you strength, Deborah, to be an effective, beautiful witness for him. And I want to thank you for obeying. Amen to that. Amen. Yeah, he's a wonder. You're a wonder woman, Deborah. <laughs> hey, um, so if there's any other comments on the earth and the I had a something to ask about the the rise route. Okay, uh, now what were you saying, Jeff? What I was wanting to to refocus on was the comment about the move of God that is coming isn't a grassroots movement, but a rise root movement. I was wondering if you could comment on that more, Carol. I'm 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 guessing we're looking at more like grassroots, meaning multiple roots everywhere, like more egalitarian or maybe hearkening back to maybe like the Jesus people movement that was like that. Uh, you're seeing something different coming. So I was wondering if you could uh, elaborate on that more. Yeah, thank you. Um, you know, remember, um, remember Billy Graham, you know, his major, that encounter he had before the, uh, his tent <clears throat> meeting started up. Remember where he was at when he finally says, I, it doesn't matter if I understand intellectually. I just trust you, Lord. Y'all remember where he was at when that happened? A stump. A stump, that's right. He was at a stump. And I believe it's very significant where Graham was at uh, because of a reference uh, in Isaiah chapter 6. Because, you know, he's possibly one of the greatest evangelists that's been on the soul of the world, so to speak. And years ago, the Lord had spoke, shown me this. And let me see if I can pull this up. The Song of Solomon and Isaiah. Song of Songs, chapter 7, verse 13. The mandrakes give a smell, and at our gates are all manner of pleasant fruits, new and old, which I have laid up for thee, O oh my beloved. And I, I had this encounter with the Lord, and he, he basically said there, he said he's raising up a, a movement that's going to come, and it'll be brand new. And I, 
And I said, well, will it be like, will it be like the healing evangelist? Will it be like Billy Graham's evangelism? And he's like, no, it won't be like uh, Branham. It won't be like Coe. It won't be like A.A. Allen. It won't be like even Billy Graham. Uh, he said it, it won't be like those movements that I've raised up and then that have been phenomenal movements, the healing movement, the Jesus movement. It's going to be something brand new. It's something that uh, has been laid up for the Lord. I mean, the Holy Spirit, man, I remember where I was at. This, this was back in 07, probably. It just comes down on me. I was like, oh, my Lord, you're raising up something this end hour that's going to be unprecedented. Because, I mean, these have been some phenomenal movements. I mean, they're not that they don't have a precedent and that they're not important or special. It's just that he has something new that he's doing. Um, we could call it a new wineskin. But when I began to seek the Lord and say, well, if it's not, if it's not the holiness movement, if it's not the Pentecostal movement, if it's not the, if it's not the healing movement, if it's not all that, what is it? You know, and um, I appreciate you asking this. He showed me sometime later, we'll go to Isaiah 6. And in Isaiah 6, you see uh, this man, Isaiah, and he's going to have an experience in the year Uzziah, who I believe he had put a lot of hope in as a natural leader, had died. And he's going to be called up to the throne. And he's going to experience the holy, holy, holy. You know, and, and we've all heard, you, maybe y'all have all heard, low, low, go. You know, down on the knee, woe is me, who shall I send? Here I am, Lord, send me. And, and you see in that that he's purged. His mouth, is, which has been unclean, has been made clean. He's been uh, transformed. I mean, I think any of us would like to uh, have that happen to us. Maybe we wouldn't, but we really would. Uh, well, I'd like my mouth to be cleaned up, and I don't want it to be washed out with soap. <laughs> Um, and in the end of this, in Isaiah 6, he says, um, he says to the Lord in verse 11, he said, Then I said, O Lord, how long? And he answered, Until the cities, until the cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without man, and the land be desolate. And the Lord removed man far away, and there's a great forsaking in the midst of the land. I think one translation says, it gets down to a tenth or something. All oh, right here, but yet in, but it shall be a tenth, and it shall return, and it shall be eaten as a as a teal tree, as an oak whose substance is in them. When they cast their leaves, the holy seed shall be in the substance thereof. And so, what had happened is that the tree had been cut down to a stump. But in that stump was a seed, and out of that seed would rise, a root would rise, a root of um, God's hidden people, uh, God's hidden remnant, a tent that would be left in the land after a big cutting down. I think we've been seeing this in the church, you know, you know, many doors closed and many uh, buildings vacated and 
but it, even in the middle of that, and it, even in the middle of 08, when all this really started ramping up in 2008, the recession hit, there was a big transition happening in the God's people in 08. And this, this stump that had been cut down, but in the middle of that stump was a, a, a holy seed, a holy seed that was going to have to germinate from the life of the stump. I didn't know this could happen, but dad has a, a tree like this. I think it's a maple or something on his land. And it was cut down to the stump. And then now it's a full grown tree. Yeah, I think you see this in Ezekiel 17 too, which I we can look at. But ultimately it speaks of the Lord and calls him what? A, a branch. Uh, not comely. It'll come up out of dry ground. It talks about this in Isaiah 11. It speaks of this in Zechariah. That there's this book that was written about Billy Graham. It's called The Preacher and the Presidents. Because he was, and I think he was even buried in the, uh, in a national site, which was forbidden, actually. You can only put heads of state in national uh, buildings. You can't put a preacher in a, a national site. But he was buried, I think, in a, he was not buried there, but he was brought into a national site for his uh, funeral. And he was buried in Charlotte. But there was, with Billy Graham, there was this beginnings of the, the union of church and state. There was a friendship in the presidents with uh, a major uh, leader that was for the church. The interesting thing, though, is, is in this move, this root that is rising, is that there's no separation of church and state. There's a union of both that comes up out of the stump of both uh, temple and palace, male and female, of bond and free, of Jew and Gentile. There's uh, this root that's rising is uh, spoke of in Ezekiel 37. Uh, it's the bringing together of what I was speaking of earlier, Ephraim and Judah. There's no longer will be two separate sticks, but will rise as one uh, from one root seed together as one. And so in that way, you have the union of king and priest. And this was forbidden in the old covenant. You couldn't get, out of Old Covenant ideology, you cannot get a peace between king and priest like that. There were two separate offices. In this move, the offices are in union because the soul has come to a place. The soul is male and female. We're different gender. But the soul would be in union. It's in, let me read this. It's in Zechariah chapter uh, 6, verse 13. And some of this, some of these are y'all's favorite verses. But even he shall build the temple of the Lord and he shall bear the glory. He shall rule upon his throne and he shall be a priest upon his throne. And the council of peace shall be between them both. So there's a council of peace between rulership and uh, palace and temple. So there's a peace between throne and priesthood uh, is a union uh, it's called the Melchizedek order earlier it says verse 12 says and speaking unto them saying thus speaketh the Lord of hosts saying behold the man whose name is the branch uh, he shall grow up out of his place and he shall build the temple of the Lord and so uh, it's growing up out of a it's a seed that's been inside that's growing up out of the stump 
that is both palace and temple. There's no more division between priest and king or prophet, priest, judge, and king, PPJK. The Lord would install uh, the prophetic, the priestly, the judicial, and the kingly inside of a human being and give it all to one person and to a whole people. He would give it to his whole royal family. And that is the root that is rising. There's so much to be said about this, and it says this in Hebrews, of whom there is much to say, but we've been so dull of hearing, you know, uh, but our ears are being open and our eyes are being open in this hour. And so it won't be the preacher and the presidents. It'll be like, almost like it's the king priest company. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's the union. There's no more division in male and female. Uh, there's no more, the conflict has been satisfied. There's no more... Ephraim, Judah, there's no more divided monarchy. Mm-hmm. It's all been healed. Uh, Ephesians 1, it's a brand new man, a new man, a new one. It's, it's brand new. And that is going to be propagated upon our land by God's remnant family as an expression will be changed by an RNA upgrade in God's people. The expression will be transformed in us. Uh, and it, it's on us now. It's on us right now, i.e., that's why the coronavirus is sent to expose, to bring in the crown. <laughs> Let the root rise. <laughs> so, um, Carol, when you look at Carol, Carol son. Yes, sir. I find it real interesting that Billy wasn't just beside the stump. He had purposed in his heart to give himself completely, 100% to the Lord. He stood upon the stump by his own testimony. He proclaimed the gospel in an open field. Actually, the only, the only one that heard that message that day was Bessie, a cow. His own words. My point is, in his obedience, having stood on the stump, he became the greatest of evangelists. Someone else was going to uh, make a comment? Just shared uh, <laughs> more about that Isaiah 6 passage. I spent a lot, a lot of time in that, uh, too. And I think what what is so concerning about what is being shared is that the joining of church and state you know, that's that's a foundational principle for our country for the purpose of protecting against the abuse of power. And in England, we saw such a, a false market where the, the church and state came together in England. Uh, and then there was a movement of separatism and puritanism that came out of that, seeking the, the rule of, of Christ from a false Melchizedek order. So talking about it just goes so deep into the the challenge you know of the human heart to not abuse that and um what really has has uh just gripped me about this isaiah passage it you know it says that there's going to be this burning of 90 percent you know um like cleansing the land and and so the remnant is going through that too so the remnant that is being prepared for what Carol's talking about is through that cleansing in order that we can move into a place that's beyond the 
kind of protection of against uh, known, you know, in America, even beyond that. Then it says the tenth portion that remains, the ten percent that remains, will be again subject to burning. So those, the remnant is then again subject to more this fire. Then it says about this. You know, so my my main point I'm sharing though is you know, it's verse 13 of Isaiah 6 um, that there is so much um, refining that needs to happen with this and it's it's very stark I mean it's very like uh you know but it's for a reason like there is a purpose here to bring forth the nature and character and works you know of Jesus in a new place that we've not really seen other than more of a, a false version of it. I think, you know, we've seen the egalitarian, if we want to put it that way, moves of, of God, like the grassroots movements, and that's been glorious, you know, but there, but there's like this, a fear of becoming um, like Catholic or something like where there's a, there's a false ruler that's happening false ruling that's happening so it just remains grassroots so what carol's talking about is just it just strikes so deep uh at our abuses and for a human being to be able to uh to be in jesus as priest king truly it's it's glorification i mean really ultimately that's what we're talking about so those are just some random thoughts and some of them not so random do you want to speak to this, Janie, about the abuse of power? Is that something? Janie has something here to talk, uh, speak to uh, what your follow up with what you're saying, Jeff. Uh, I want to say amen to the false Melchizedek and the Masonic uh, subtext that's through all the power structure within the mindset of the U.S. government, the uh, Masonic influence, the fraternal orders, um, and that God needs to shake and expose and burn down even Man. as it says that all the uh, all the works of men are made for fire so we need to be able to go through the fire for the revelation of the purity of intention that god has in governing through us and so yes you're right we we are gonna go through to our benefit but it may not feel that way Right. Uh, I.e. probation, right? E yes. But even like um, just between Bethlehem and Jerusalem, there's Bethany. Bethany has a, a sifting. It, it, it is a manifestation of resurrection. But it was also a place of sorrows and a recognition that Jesus would die. And he was anointed in the house of the leopard for death. And so we have to be saying yes okay whatever <laughs> whatever we're going to go through and be setting our face to jerusalem knowing that so we don't get deflected or at one another's throats we need to be submitted to the king so his government can come through us and there's no ambition in us we can follow so good jamie Amen. Uh, along with that, um, the uh, 
false foundations of the world's religions, Islam, uh, the Masonic here in the States and elsewhere, just about every false religion in the world for the past, I don't, I don't know how many years, but it's something I've been seeing. They're all enjoying an increase in their numbers and, and really kind of pr being able to uh, prolificate their ideology throughout the world. And it's been kind of a concern on my heart, wondering what's going on. But what I think the Lord just told me was that he's separating the chaff from the wheat. Hallelujah. Um, a few months back, he told me that we were in the threshing floor. And Lord. and so it's and I've been just hearing from the spirit that he's really, uh, um, you know, dividing, making the black blacker and, and the light lighter. And yeah, the, that's what the threat uh, the threshing floor does. It sifts. And so it's like, you know, God's not concerned with what they're doing, with what the Masonic is doing with, with it, it. It has no concern for him. It's. He wants the hearts of men uh, completely and truly. He's like, who will you decide? You know, will you decide life or will you decide death? And, you know, and he, he lays it upon our shoulders to make that decision. And as, as well as the world. And there are those who are deceived. And, and he sees that deception and he will pull them out of that deception. But there's some of them who, who want to remain in their deception because it brings them power and and other what they think are benefits but um i just that's just amazing to me that you know the end game god is is going to you know bring about this uh this revival this resurrection of his body um even in the midst of of everything that's going on here on this planet wants to open the gate hallelujah since uh, and going back to the topic of revival, since 2016, when I went to uh, the Harvest School of Heidi Baker in Mozambique, the Lord's been speaking about revival, 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 and I've been kind of like, okay, I know what revival looks like from a you know, literary perspective. I've never seen it myself, but I've, so I've been looking for it. You know, you, it, it's on my heart to bring revival. But it isn't here yet per se. But what the 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 thing that the Lord said was that it will be a revival unlike any other revival in the history of the earth. That there will be no one man, no one person. There will be no name to be able to attach attach itself to it other than Jesus. And that you know, and His invitation is being handed out. <laughs> you know, get on board. Get on this train because Jesus is the conductor. Um, and just recently, I was up in Illinois for Christmas and uh, um, with the family that the Lord put me with a couple of years ago. And the Lord had me prophesy that a storm was coming, but it was a storm of his anointing that I mean, and the power of his anointing, the that what it speaks about in Daniel, the exploits that we are going to be able to do and perform through his name, through Jesus name is going to be mind blowing. It's going to be the fulfillment of what Jesus said. You will do greater works than these. 
Yeah, I've been thinking about the the nameless, faceless as well. Was that Gus sharing? I'm not sure who was sharing, but um, I was thinking about the nameless, faceless too, and the 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 emphasis when it's on the horizontal of revival, then it becomes that egalitarian. But I think what we're really talking about here is what what um, the last person just shared that Jesus is going to be so exalted. Like, like people talk about the moves of God and in places like Iran and such. Um, and there's, there's lots to be said about what could be seen as a grassroots kind of movement, but really the ultimate reality that's occurring there is the man in white is showing up everywhere. Jesus is actually coming. He's appearing over and over. One type of friend in Iran. And one person yeah. from my friend, he taught, he was given the whole book of John from this man in white. Every night he would be, he would come and he would dictate another mm-hmm. chapter to him. And he didn't know the Lord. He didn't know Jesus yet. Mm-hmm. So there's just this, this, this reality of the rise root, like it's Jesus. Um, and then it's Amen. us coming, this, this revelation of Jesus um, that, that Carol's highlighting with the Melchizedek. Love this. Um, this he made a joke that this was the potluck time. Yeah. Hey, um, uh, Pete Lineker, are you on? I didn't know if Pete was. He's coming on. Says. He's coming on right now. He's coming. Here, this is Cammy. He's coming gone. Oh, Pete has. I mean. Okay. Um, uh, Pete, he had. It goes along with what you're you're talking about about a grassroots movement or an egalitarian um, thing. He had addressed that a lot of times when these uh, these works had come online uh, from the Lord, that they had been seen as they had been uh, liberation movements, uh, and had had basically went left. And he was saying stating his concern that that he thinks that a lot of this would be viewed that way at first, that it would be viewed in a left-based libertarian way. The, the interesting thing about, about this move is, is that it's not leaning left or right. It's in union with, uh, with Jesus. Actually, like Donnie was saying, he's out front leading. He's the one that's running the whole, uh, the Holy Spirit's the one who's uh, running the operation. And I, I think that in some way I'd, I'd had a hard time understanding what separated this until the Lord began to show me the difference between plus negative ideology versus plus plus. Because even John the Baptist, you know, who is said to be the greatest prophet born among women, is least in the, that he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Also that, that Moses uh, was a servant in God's house, but uh, Jesus is a son over the house, whose house we are. And so, as great as the Baptist was, the one that's least in the kingdom is greater than he, meaning I believe that th- what he's saying is it's the blending of the office of a uh, king and priest, because otherwise, you know, a lot of it could be viewed as uh, libertarian. It would it would lean kind of left, and it could raise up more... Uh, well, we're going to raise up a voluntary army. We're going to raise up volunteers. We're going to fill the, 
buildings back up and get operations going again, or we're going to tap the offerings and uh, get, uh, raise up resources and all that. And in um, Hebrews 10, and also in Daniel 9, the Lord's indicating uh, sacrifice and offering I didn't desire, uh, but a body you have prepared for me. That the Lord was looking for complete wholeheartedness out of us. He didn't want just, uh, well, we'll volunteer and set up the equipment and just hand out cups of coffee and give people water and make hot dogs and, you know, or, or hey, everybody just click the offering. Um, the Lord said, he's, I was in that prayer meeting, he said, so what? And I, and it blew me away. I mean, he's like, I said, what do you mean? He said, so what? He's like, sacrifice an offering. Uh, what is that to me? I, I wanted a family. Mm. I wanted reality. I want a life together with you. I didn't want you just kind of sitting back and doing that to sort of please me. I wanted to hang out with you. I wanted friends that I could be in fellowship with. I want relationship. But the thing is, if you're going to be in the fellowship of a king, you can't relate to him if you're not like him. And, and you, you can't know him. Yeah, you can't. You don't know how he thinks. You can't have friendship. You can be you might be a servant in your mindset because sacrifice and offering has a servitude, servitude kind of mindset, but is not in fellowship. This blending of the offices is quite paradoxical. It's very much a paradox inside of the human heart that's both both righteous which would be what judah was meant to be but highly relational which ephraim is it was meant to be both at the exact same moment and um how in the world could we live like that but it how could i have an anointing left and have the character right and they're completely one with one another so that there is no abuse of power anything is everything is free left but it's also filled with order right and so there's no differentiation between order and freedom it's both in one in him and that union that peace between those two and if you've raised families you know that that's you're like okay we want the kids to have freedom but then the whole thing goes to chaos you know it's like let them go and uh you know and it's like oh no put the thing back in order they don't tore the place up you know what i mean and and the word's like well you can have both in me if you're found in me you can have both i remember when we started collider i was like oh no this thing's gonna go off the rails and the word's like no it won't because where order is there's freedom and where freedom is there's order and it's truly uh god's order of uh melchizedek and so uh, the Lord wanted to bring this to us, but he says the only way through is you must abandon the SO system. It's the system of man that the left, that the left builds it off of community organization, grassroots, get a bunch of people together, uh, masses, uh, power. Uh, the right builds it off of strength, um, offerings, pat you on the back, you're my buddy, uh, put up or shut up, back rooms. You know, like uh, I'll I'll patch your back for you. I can tell you when my next. I'm going to bring the next IPO. I mean, uh, insider trading. You know, be, uh, we know how to take care of each other on platforms. We do it in the church. We do it in politics. And the Lord's like, throw the whole thing out. 
I just want a body. I want you, you know. Uh, anyway, any other comments? <laughs> well, if, do we have any other comments or questions? That, or we, and we'll sign off for today. Well, bless all of you. Love you. <laughs>